on the mic with Mike Peters. This week's guest is Williamsport comedian Kevin Seibert. We go back a long time, like, eh, about a year. That's long enough. Ask anybody. That's way too long to know me. It ages people. The guy's fun. I know I say it every week, but this time I actually mean it. He's a producer. He's a comedian. He's an interesting dude. We talked about being a Mennonite. I don't think he was trying to recruit me. I'm not someone anybody wants for their religion. I think I proved that over the time of this podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Please like, review, share the podcast, do whatever you want to do. I appreciate it. I will talk to you guys next week. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in. How do you pronounce your name again? Cybert. See, I knew that this time. I set you up for this. People call you Seabert, right? So um, they call me Seabird when I'm when I'm coming to stage because nobody knew how to pronounce my name. And there was there was a guy who used to do stand up who uh, thought it sounded like Seabird. So he started this thing where every time I got called to stage, he would yell Seabird and then start calling. That's fun. Yeah, you know, and it just it like he doesn't do stand up anymore, but like it just you know it outlived him. <laughs> do you have like fantasies of tracking him down wherever he is and be like, nah, dude, this is done? <laughs> no, uh, like I, the only reason I ever tell anybody how it's pronounced is if they ask. My dad is very militant about it, but like I once worked at a place for eight years where they never learned how to pronounce my name and I never once corrected them. Do you ever see Office Space? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it reminds me so much of Milton Waddams. Like, yes. all right, I'll just be quiet. I'll, I'll go, just, <laughs> I'll take my stapler and we'll be okay. It, I, I, like my goal was like, I just, I wanted to just not be remembered working. Like I hated that job so much. Like I did not want anyone to remember me for any reason. Like if they couldn't even say my name correctly, I figured that was like one step closer to anonymity. I've worked with it a couple of times. I think I introduced you as Seabert. I, I, I don't remember you doing it. <laughs> then no, I didn't. I, I, then I remember that I announced it the correct way. I, I yeah, I mean you you can remember it like it, you, even if you did mispronounce it, like know that it didn't make an impact on me one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, whenever I talk to somebody, I just know that I'm not going to make an impact on them. That is just a, <laughs> that's been a constant in my life, so we're even. <laughs> All right, nice nice that I'm uh, keeping the trend going. So, what are you doing during this off time? I mean, I'm still you know, working at my uh, day job, uh, like you know, working from home. So that's feeling like you know, eight hours a day during every weekday. My evenings are a lot more free now, so it's been it's been weird, uh, you know, figuring out, like like I've been playing a lot of video games and stuff, but it, like it, it took a while to get to the point where like that didn't feel wrong, like you know, where I wasn't like, man, I should be doing something else, like something you know, creative or constructive or something. And I don't know, like it's been nice to just kind of like relax a little bit. Yeah, that's like I felt incredibly guilty the first week where I'm like, mm-hmm. well, you know, all I was doing was was canceling show after show and, you know, hoping that they would come back. But like my therapist was like, you know, it's OK to not fill your day with comedy. And I'm like, oh, all right. But <laughs> I've already seen every Adam Sandler movie. Like, am I going to watch him again? So I did. But after that, <laughs> I was like, I was like, what do I do now? Yeah, yeah. It, I like there. There are a whole lot of hours in a day, as it turns out. I, you know, I'm I'm working for a third of them, and I'm still having a little bit of a hard time filling it. You know, I noticed it's pretty bad when your cats start to get annoyed by you. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Like they want me to get a job. Like they want me to get out of the house. <laughs> it was it was a sad moment of realization. <laughs> I, you know, I. My girlfriend and I have cats, and like I, I only see them on the weekend at this point because I'm really trying to cut down on how often I have to visit gas stations. So I, you know, so I'm there for like a day or two a week, and they're already over me, like just from a day oh, yeah. or two a week. Yeah. So they didn't miss you at all? No, no. Well, they miss me for like the first five minutes that I'm there, and then I try to pick them up, and they're like, "Oh, this guy." Yeah. It's like, can't you do better? <laughs> yeah. I mean, absolutely. You don't need to settle. Yeah. <laughs> I met you. How do I? I forget how I met you exactly. I don't know who referred you. Was it Zach Hammond? I think it was Mark Vile, actually. Oh, that's right. That's right. The Florida comedian. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I remember getting a getting a message from you. Wanted to work together, and I was like, "All right." And then uh, you booked me, and then I booked you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Since then, we've talked every six months. It's been really nice. <laughs> yeah, but checking in every so often. Uh, <laughs> you know, still alive. Yeah, still alive. Yeah, no, I was disappointed, but I'm sure you were too. It worked out well. Uh, disappointed that I'm still alive, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I meant. 
I, I did the show for you. I forget when it was. Was it two Octobers ago? Um, I think it was last August. Oh, okay. All right. Makes sense. No, it's uh, just time has no meaning. It seems like it was such a long time ago. It like, no, it, it was, uh, like 10 months ago. Oh my God. Wow. Okay. I, I mean, I, I unless know. I'm wrong. No, you're probably right. I remember <laughs> I took Phil Canarelli with me and yeah. that was a mistake. That was a mistake. <laughs> I, I, anytime I have to spend four hours with Phil Canarelli in the car, I regret it almost immediately. <laughs> How long have you been doing comedy? Um, gosh, let me think about it for a second. Six years. That's great. I didn't even know Williamsport had a scene like until I met you. Oh, it you. doesn't. It doesn't have a scene. Oh, okay. I feel it, has a, it, it has like three people who do it, and uh, <laughs> we, we mostly go to other towns. Which town? I mean, I know there's Lewisburg, but like... Yeah, we, we mostly town? go to Lewisburg. Yeah, that's that's where oh. like the kind of where like the, the center of, of everything is. Like, I, I shouldn't say that there's no scene in Williamsport because like, you know, there aren't a lot of like native Williamsburg comedians, but like we do have, you know, like a lot of touring comics come through and like stop in Williamsport on their way to better places. How well do you know Lock Haven? Um, sort of. That's about as good an, an answer as you can get. Like that's yeah. nobody should know, nobody should ever get to know Lock Haven more than sort of. No self-respecting person should, and I'm not even that self-respecting, and I don't. <laughs> no, I I lived there for like two years, and I had a friend who lived in Williamsport, and I'd hang out with her, especially in the last month or two that I lived there. She she moved there, and we hung out a lot in Williamsport. Lock Haven, it's a place where I just don't miss it at all. Yeah. Like, I don't know what there is to do aside from drink and eat KFC. That's about it. I yeah, in Lockhaven, I did get the drunkest I've ever been there. So, that's about what there you is could, to do there. You could walk outside of your like let's say you were you walked outside of Main Street. Next door to you probably is a bar. Like that's all there was to do there. Yeah. Like I I befriended a lot of uh international students who were going to school there and you know, any of the, like, I, I was like a couple of years out of college at this point. One of my best friends was still going to school at Lock Haven, which is how I knew all of these people. And uh, a number of them, you know, a number of these students had uh, drinking problems, as college students do. And they tried to pass their drinking problems on to me. But the issue is, uh, I'm a good deal smaller than the average person, and I have an alcohol tolerance to match that. So, you know, I, I was keeping up with alcoholics. You know, like not not on a regular basis. I just mean like one night at a time. You know, like I would go out, keep up with alcoholics, and be barely functioning. I, I remember that there there was a night where um, this guy—I don't know what his real name was—but everybody called him Luck, and he kept pouring me Yingling after Yingling and buying me shots until like my friend was basically carrying me. From you know, because like we went to a number of different bars. Like I was not walking under my own power by this point. And then they're like, well, let's go to a different bar. It's across town. I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not driving. So we all piled into Lux car and it, it was, but there were like seven of us. He drove like a five seat, you know, sedan. So I got into the back seat. I had two people on top of me. I was like in the middle. And then out of his dashboard came this like, uh, you know, small, like flat screen television. My head is pinned in place. And then hardcore porn on the screen right there. Just like, like I'm, I, like I'm trapped with my head stuck in place like a clockwork orange as just like hardcore porn starts like mid fuck. <laughs> like, so for like five minutes, like, you know, completely awkward. Like, like, is, like, is porn, like, I'm, I'm not really a porn guy. Like, is porn watching a group activity, generally speaking? Like, I was under the impression it wasn't. Uh, I think it depends on who's around. Like, I think when I was 16 or 17, we had a, no, it must've been earlier than that. Maybe when I was 14, I recorded, or my buddy recorded porn on Cinemax or whatever. <laughs> and we watched that with like three or four guys and my brother, we had him, he was, you know, six years younger than me. So he's probably eight, maybe oh, we had great. him sit with his back to the door. So my parents couldn't come in the door. Like we didn't know what to do with the porno tape. We knew that we shouldn't have been watching it. And like <laughs> years later, we're like, well, we shouldn't have been watching it in a group. Uh, yeah. And then I went to Mansfield and got really fucking drunk at a New Year's party. And I woke up and all of my friends downstairs were watching this porno in my buddy's room. And it was, uh, you know what a Sibian machine is? No. Okay. I, it's it's basically a machine where a woman sits on it and it's a vibrator. And, you know, but it's got 
it's got like a remote or whatever. So mm-hmm. somebody in the video was controlling the remote and turning it up and down. I'm passed out in this in this other bedroom <laughs> through like like the door is shut, there's a living room, and in this other bedroom, sixteen guys are watching this porn. And it's just going like uh like the machine's buzzing like and then and then the 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 remote is shift and it just goes <laughs> so she's making different noises all my friends are laughing and this is what woke me up and i said what the hell are you guys doing and they're like we're watching a movie called downshifting <laughs> and i was like fantastic so i think it depends on how sick the people are and what occasion i mean they were sure. all celebrating the new year so mm-hmm. it seems right yeah i guess <laughs> But like, like I don't think like because how well did you know these guys? Oh, not at all. Like, yeah, I had only ever drank with them a handful of times. That's too soon. Like, you gotta you gotta go out a couple times before you watch porn together. I think I think well, I, I don't want to know what their taste is. That's the thing. It, it's basically like like you just you know did a cannonball into the deep end of a pool without <laughs> you know testing the water. Right. Absolutely. So that's your lock haven experience. That that's uh yeah that's the bulk of my lock haven experience is being the drunkest I've ever been. Perfect. I think one of my first introductions to lock haven, almost my very first, was I moved to town, and the first thing you do after you move anywhere is you find the Walmart, right. the Chinese place, and in Pennsylvania the, the beer store. Mm-hmm. So the distributor, or whatever it's called. So I did that. Believe it or not, it was all in one trip. I mean, it was on the same road in lock haven, and mm-hmm. so I did that, and then so I go to Walmart. And I parked next to a horse and buggy. Oh, yeah, yeah, that'll happen. I got out of my car and I was like, and I said out loud to nobody, what the fuck did I just do? (laughs) (laughs) I regretted moving to Lock Haven immediately. (laughs) Well, I I, I do have to ask, like, I mean, how good was the Chinese restaurant in Lock Haven? It couldn't have been too good or you wouldn't have moved probably, right? Yeah, I wish. You know, I have a lot of weird jokes in my head. Like, Like, I think my brain is part Andy Kaufman. Like, I love that. Kind of perverse humor <laughs> where I wish I moved two and a half hours just because they had good Chinese food. Like, I wish that was the reason. Like, I'm just of the no, opinion, like, good. if you. If if you move to a place that has a good Chinese restaurant, like you can't find that everywhere. So like if you find one, maybe consider not moving. When I lived in Maryland, uh, I I lived in two places there, and I oh that's one of the first things I do is I find a good Chinese place. Mm-hmm. The second place I lived there. Seven or eight minutes from my house, great Chinese place. If I had a list, like a pro and con list of all the all the good things and bad things about Maryland, yeah, that that Chinese place would have been very high on the list. Oh yeah, I was very poor, so I needed to move anyway. But and you know, I just quit my job, so I'm like, well, I might as well go anyway. But like, yeah, that I could see hanging on for a little bit because of a good restaurant. Yeah, like a good Chinese place is a compelling argument. Like I've I have been to Chinese restaurants where like you order like uh, garlic broccoli or something, and like it's ninety percent onions. Yeah, see, I, I don't think I could move somewhere based on the Chinese food because I honestly only get general sows. Like I am the most oh, okay. basic of all Chinese customers. Gotcha. So yeah, like I, I assume I assume general sows is the same everywhere. Yeah, I, I mean that that's kind of like a homogenous dish. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know too much about Williamsport aside from the World Series and there's a Pizza Hut there. At least there was. And I ate my weight there once. (laughs) Uh, But aside from that, like, what do you do for comedy in Williamsport? Like when it's in town? So, all right. uh, I primarily work with um, Art House Projects with uh, the owner, John uh, Yagodzinski. We put on comedy shows in his space. It's like a 40 to 50 person room before it's pretty packed up. But it's a nice, small, intimate environment. And primarily, we have uh, a lot of comedians who are from like LA and like New York City just passing through on their way other places. But, you know, like sometimes we also have like shows for local people. Like we've had uh, Billy Kelly, uh, you know, headline there a couple of times. We had uh, Zach Hammond and uh, Bill Russum do shows there. But generally speaking, the shows there are like, I, I more throw things together for like people who are, you know, coming in from out of the area. And a lot of the uh, like open mic type stuff happens down around Lewisburg. How did you become the point person for this place? Uh, that's a good question. Um, that's the so, only one I got. So I figured it was <laughs> yeah, a, one time. Might as well make the one question good, right? Yeah. All right. So it was originally uh, like, 
Bill Rossum and another guy named Jeff Kunkel were doing an open mic down in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. And do you know who uh, Dave Ross is? He's an LA comic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dave Ross and Jeff are buddies. Uh, like they, they know each other from Twitter. Like Jeff listened to his podcast and like they talked on Twitter for a while. And then Dave was doing a, a show coming through uh, like Pennsylvania. Like he's doing a tour coming through Pennsylvania. And he asked Jeff if there were uh, any places in like Harrisburg that did comedy shows during the week. And Jeff said he didn't know of any. So Dave asked if he could do Bill and Jeff's room. So they set up a show for that. And from that point on, like Dave has been started referring other people to us. Those people started referring other people to us. And then at some point, they stopped working with the room in Sunbury. But uh, people kept contacting Jeff. And Jeff started forwarding them to me and another guy named Chris William. Because we were doing shows at a comic book store in South Williamsport at the time. That comic book store has since gone out of business, so like we've shifted venues a couple times. But uh, about two years ago, we started working with Art House Projects, and we've been doing it there ever since because it's like definitely the best room we've worked with for doing comedy. It just seems weird that like Binghamton and Williamsport are roughly the same size, but you know, it, it seems odd to me that people would look on the map and say, "Oh, Williamsport, maybe we should do a show there." But yeah, like you said, like they're just coming through from what I assume mm-hmm. Pittsburgh to Philly. Yeah, usually. Or sometimes, you know, New York to, you know, somewhere else or, yeah. It's got to be nice that you're grabbing these people. Like, I know, you know, Elliot Chang's one of your guys, one of your favorites. Yeah. But, like, he got a hold of me. And I assume it's it's partly this. And, uh, yeah, probably, because you're not that far from New York City or Philly or, or Pittsburgh. But I get people from New York City uh, asking me, you know, hey, you know, if you have a spot. Because in New York City, they're, you know, fighting for stage time and anything more than, like, seven or eight minutes and they know that i can throw them 25 or or 30 if they want headline so that's how i get a lot of people reaching out from new york city is that pretty much similar like like they're they know that okay well here's a guy in central pennsylvania who can probably get me a half hour or so yeah the shows usually end up being is people working on their new hour or something you know working out material like we actually uh this was kind of uh put on hold well all all altogether canceled i guess because of covid but um i I mentioned uh chris mohan earlier like he like last march uh came through and debuted like his new hour like you know in, in like its rough draft phase in art house and then uh you know for like a year drove all over and workshopped that hour. And then he was actually going to come through uh, March of this year and do his album recording there of like the final hour, you know, like the the final version of that hour. Uh, And of course it unfortunately got canceled, but like, that's kind of what a lot of people end up doing. Like nobody else has recorded an album in the room before, but what I mean is like, they, you know, they come with like unfinished material, like, you know, and kind of want to like workshop it in front of a live audience where they can get 30 to, you know, an hour or however long they want. Yeah, I, I'm in that position too. And I, I, I don't know if you're the same way, but I find it's it's nice. Like like a, a buddy of ours, Zach Hammond, just released an album today. And, mm-hmm. you know, you get a thank you from Zach. And, you know, I assume I'm going to get like 30% of the proceeds. But, you know, we'll work Obviously, on Obviously, at least. But, yeah, of course. Of course. And That was, that was, uh, in, the, that was in the contract. I, I believe so. I mean, I've, I <laughs> don't remember putting that in there, but. You, know, you, you got a guy who does your contracts there, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's a guy. But no, I. I like being that complimentary piece. Like, like, okay, well, I, I help, I help Zach on his quest. You know, you help Chris do that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's one of the nice parts about being a producer is that you know that okay, well, it's not my album, but I certainly helped get that album along. Yeah, yeah, it is a really cool feeling. So you're obviously a comedian and a producer. Like, do you think being a producer has helped you become a better comedian? Absolutely. It's definitely made me have to learn how to be a lot more comfortable on stage because uh i mean i i probably don't have to tell you this but uh like hosting is the hardest thing to do yeah like hosting shows like it it, it feels like eating shit most of the time <laughs> i know and you almost never get used to it fully like no you know, it, okay it's, okay well, like i'll take a bullet or two but it's like it never feels good no it, it, it still hurts a little bit <laughs> yeah like i i did um built on comedy contest last year that uh, Rashid and Chris and a few other people were uh, putting on at Art House, like, you know, the room that, I, that I'm regularly playing in. So I like I did my set and it felt good because I wasn't hosting, you know, like I, I was doing material, not just like getting up. And like I had and then like after I, you know, after the show, like 
a lot of the regulars in the room like came up to me like, I've never seen you be that funny before. We're like, oh, that's a backhanded compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I had one guy, he came up from New York City. I've said this on the podcast before. So if anybody ever listens to this more than once, they might have heard this. But he said, uh, what I like about you is that even if things aren't going really well, you've got a face people cheer for. <laughs> and, I <was> like, <laughs> and I was like, in my head, I'm like, I thought I had a pretty good set. Maybe not. <laughs> I think what we need to do is kind of like a public service to comedians is just like co-author a book of things you should never say to performers. Yeah. Like things that you like, think uh, are a compliment that actually aren't. How about we just say, uh, good job. You know, like, I yeah, like you. Yeah. Funny. Lie to us. I, I never get tired of hearing good job. Like, even if everybody just said that for the rest of my life, I would take it at face value. You don't have to be sincere. Whatever it takes to, like, get me through that interaction, do it. Yeah, just say it. You don't have to be sincere, and I won't know the difference. <laughs> uh, what, why are you in comedy? Like, what got you started? Uh, so, I don't know. Like, it, it's weird because uh, in high school, like, I never would have guessed I would want to do this. Because, like, I was doing everything I could to not be noticed by anybody. But I always kind of enjoyed, like, I always enjoyed funny things. Like, not, you know, like, my consumption of stand-up was definitely limited when I was young. Because, you know, I mean, I was, you know, like, I was born in the 80s. Like, the internet wasn't really a thing until I was basically, it, it wasn't commonplace until I was already an adult. And, like, my parents were very restrictive in what they would let me listen to or consume. Like, you know, they had pretty good, because you know, there was no internet, like, they basically had pretty good control over what I did and watched and listened to. So, like, a lot of my, like, early influences on stuff were things like Calvin and Hobbes. So that's where a lot of the development of my sense of humor came from. So I thought I wanted to do comic strips. And, you know, I, I did do that for, for a while. Like I had web comics and, you know, different stuff like that. But I started doing uh, a podcast with some friends uh, back in like 2013. And it, I was on a podcast network with uh, Bill Russom and Jeff Kunkel, who did this open mic in Sunbury. And they sent me a Facebook invite to come to this open mic so i went down and just like watched people and i was like i think i want to try this so like it was like a monthly mic so like that month you know like i i sat down like wrote some jokes out got up on stage the next month immediately forgot everything i had written it went horribly and i decided i want to do this forever i don't know what it is about stand-up like after you bomb or whatever, you're like, I don't know mm -hmm. why people are so attracted to going back to it right away. Like, I understand now I would never give it up and I fell in love with it. And I, I guess I like the attention, but it should hit you in the face so hard that, like, why would you do it again? Like, it's like getting bit by a yeah. snake, but you want to pet the snake again. Yeah, yeah. Like, my mom will see, like, when I make Facebook posts, because she's on Facebook now, even though, like, I told her to avoid it. She doesn't listen to me. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, like, you know, she'll see that, like, I have a show, because, like, I, you know, I posted on Facebook to, you know, promote it, and she'll, like, call me and be like, oh, how did the show go? And, like, I'll tell her about it, and, like, on paper, it sounds terrible, and she's like, why do you do this? I'm like, because I can't <laughs> stop. Like, I enjoy it. She's like, that doesn't sound like fun. And I was like, I, well, there's something wrong with me. That's why it's fun. <laughs> you should have raised me better. I went to public school. That's why I do this. <laughs> do you go to public school in Williamsport? No, uh, Milton, which is so much worse. I'm trying to think of Milton. Um, trying to think of their mascot. Like, I think I was a sports writer. So, like, I, I don't remember all of them down there. But I, I know Williamsport was the millionaires, I believe. Right. Jersey Shore was the Bulldogs. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have no idea what Milton was. Black Panthers. Oh, okay. It's uh, topical. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, this was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know why they... Uh, I don't know why they chose that exact mascot, because they're racist as shit, but... <laughs> that, okay, so not to talk about Lockhaven being a shithole again, but it is... You know, I'm from New York, and, you know, not the city, although when you're from anywhere in New York, and you say, I'm from New York, they think it's a city. Like, it's right. a really, really big state. But I'm in Lock Haven, and talking, I think I'm interviewing somebody after a soccer game, and one of the parents came up to me, and he says, like, we're just talking for a little bit, and he goes, you're not from around here, are you? I'm hearing banjos in, in my ears. And I was like, <laughs> no. no, why? And he goes, because you don't talk like us. And I was like, thank you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was really, it was really odd. But I'm like, okay, this is not for me. 
I don't remember seeing, unless they were a Lock Haven student, I don't remember seeing black people at all. And, oh, yeah. Uh, it was really, really white town. Yeah. It, it's it, on the on the subject of the uh, like you not talking like us, like um, one of uh, one of my friends, actually two of my friends were uh, in, in a band uh, like in the early 2000s and they went on tour and uh, like there's this town called Mifflinburg like in our general area like are you are you oh, familiar yeah. with yeah yeah so um like they were down in Alabama and Kyle the drummer of the band like leaned over to my friend Mark the uh, bass player singer of the band and he's like everybody here talks like they're from Mifflinburg <laughs> How does that happen <laughs> I don't know like it's uh, but I mean there he, he wasn't wrong I would I would say the opposite way. Everyone everyone from uh, Mifflinburg talks like they're from Alabama, but uh, oh, of course, yeah. No, the scariest thing that happened when I was in Lock Haven was uh, this goes to show how racist I think that town was. I walked out of a bar. It's called the Old Corner, and it's probably mm-hmm. one of the bars you passed out in. Or, or oh yeah, absolutely. Overserved. So I'm walking out, and it was really how old are you? Thirty eight. Yeah. Okay. So I'm 37. So it mm-hmm. was like, it was 2006. It was like, like, uh, the advent of the, not a smartphone. It was right before them. I could read Yahoo sports stories on my phone and mm-hmm. you know, they charge, they charge me later, but whatever. And, uh, but I'm like looking, I hate people. I just hate people all the time. And, uh, I'm looking at my phone just buried in it. And this black kid comes over and you know, he's, he's a college student cause he's a black kid. Like that's, that's all they would allow. If, if you were going to give them money, you can live there if you're black. Like basically, you can't yeah. live there for, if you're black for free. Like can't do it. But I'm walking to my car, and uh, this guy, like he was mad. He goes, "Oh, you're not going to look at me because because I'm black." And I'm like, "No." I said, "I just don't like people." And, <laughs> and he goes to the bar, and you know, I'm I'm gone. But I worked at a newspaper, so the next morning I go into work, and I saw that there was a stabbing at the old corner, <laughs> and allegedly, and I forget how how it played out, but I think the black kid. Uh, stab somebody at the bar. But all I could think was that dude was looking to fight because somebody like he had, he had been, he'd gotten fed up. Like he had been just treated like shit too long that day by a bunch of fucking idiot white kids that he was like, no, fuck this. I want to start something. So listen, we're, any given one of us is only like a handful of idiotic white kids away from uh, stabbing ourselves, you know? <laughs> yes, very much so. <laughs> and, Kind of the fucked up part, I guess like a fucked up conclusion of that is that two years later, I moved to Baltimore and got stabbed for real, like by somebody else. Oh, shit. So that's why like I have a joke where I'm like, oh, like when I got stabbed, I'm like, oh, I wasn't even mad because I was going to get stabbed anyway because I was almost stabbed that night. And it was like it was like Final Destination. Like, like, yeah, Mm. I got out of the way that one time, but I was going to get stabbed again. Like somebody got me. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It's only a matter of time. Exactly. So you're in Mifflinburg. We're yeah. Just backtracking. Oh, you went to Milton. Okay. So you went to yeah. Milton. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's not really a place that anybody needs to know anything about. It's 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 a rotting cesspit. <laughs> How far away is Milton from Williamsport? Uh, like 40 it's minutes. Not that far. No, not super far. Really? I, yeah. So is Williamsport a whole lot better than Milton? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and you, you've been to Williamsport. So like, you know that like, if I'm saying Williamsport so much better, Milton must be really horrible. Yeah. Williamsport is a city. Like, there's no denying mm-hmm. it's a city. Uh, it's like basically two parts of it. I mean, South and, and regular Williamsport. But mm-hmm. I always got lost, like confused at the exits, which exit to go to. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but you can definitely tell, like, this is a this is a metropolis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I bust on it, but I, I do actually like living here for, you know, like, I, I mean, it's been like I, I moved here like 10 years ago and went to college here. So, like, obviously, I like it to some level. <laughs> Where'd you go to college? Penn College. Oh, okay. When I was in Mansfield, I knew a bunch of guys who, uh, I knew one buddy who was like a, a Bloomsburg kid, and all of his friends went to Penn College. So I ended up meeting a lot of those guys. Yeah, I mean, we uh, we may have been on the ca- same campus at the same time, because like, we're roughly the same age. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to remember the names now. That's not going to work. doesn't really matter. They're not listening either. <laughs> So you're producing all these shows. Do you ever feel typecast as like like uh you don't get booked as much because you're a producer and they don't see you as a, a comedian? I thought it was just because I wasn't that funny, but you might be onto something here. <laughs> I mean, that's the word on the street. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, like I I definitely got booked on more shows when I wasn't producing them, but I don't know that the two are like correlated in any way. I like to think they are. 
because it helps my self-esteem. Like, sure. Like, oh. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I'm going to take that mindset from you and run with it because uh, <laughs> it, 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 like I'll definitely cry a lot less if I adopt that. And you know what? Like when you're doing comedy for as long as you have, you just basically have to teach yourself not to cry as much. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the thing is, like, you know, I mean, you know, all kidding aside, like it's not really something that I take personally. Like there, you know, it's a small area. There's only so many shows to go around. I can't be on every one of them. And I'm, you know, I, I am on some of them. So it's like, you know, other, other people got to get a chance and everything. Uh, like the people who take it personally, they're the ones who don't last, you know? Yeah. What I've noticed a lot, is maybe because you're doing what? Do you book one show a month basically or two? Uh, it comes out to about one show a month. So like we don't really do anything on a set schedule. Like we're not as uh, like you're definitely a much more well-oiled machine than we are. Like I do a show when somebody tells me they're going to be in town. And they're okay. like, hey, you know, can you set something up on this date? And then I, you know, I check in with John. And I'm like, hey, is, is the gallery available for this date? And, you know, usually it is. And then then we set up something around that. But, like, w- something that I probably should do is, like, get on an actual schedule and, you know, like, book people for those dates. Uh, the, the problem is it's, it's kind of hard to, um, like, Williamsport's a pretty low-income area. So it's hard yeah. to charge enough for a ticket to make it worth someone's while to come much of a distance at all. Especially for a room that kind of maxes out, like, 40, 50 people. Yeah, what I've had to do is you know, try to get budgetary help from the bars and the venues. So that's the only way I can really make it work because just in the off chance that you don't get a huge turnout, Mm -hmm. you know, you'll at least have a little bit of a floor. So you can definitely pay the comedians and yourself. Yeah. I've like, I've tried working with like other places in Williamsport and like, there've been a couple places that have been generally interested, but like they, they aren't as flexible as Art House is. Like John is honestly a joy to work with. Like he, you know, he, he works extremely hard, like getting everything, like he sets up the entire room by himself before I even get there. And, you know, like does a lot of promotion, like a lot of behind the scenes work. Like he runs the door, doesn't really, you know, doesn't really ask for much at all. Whereas like other venues are interested in working with me, but like only on set nights that don't usually work for the person who wants a show. So, um, like I have an art house shirt in my closet. So mm. he would not let me leave until Phil and I both took a shirt. Yeah, he's a super nice dude. Yeah. Hey, okay, so what I was trying to go with this is, uh, like you said, the, the people who complain and take everything personally, they, they're the ones that don't last. I try to book locally a lot. And what I've noticed is that the people who complain about not being on shows are typically the people who don't work hard enough to get the shows. Oh, yeah. So it's like, 100%. So you've noticed that too. Mm-hmm. How do you express to them that, hey... You know, Bill Russum, although he's an asshole and not talented at all, he actually works, so he deserves something. Yeah, I don't I don't really explain anything to them. I don't feel like I owe them an explanation. How do you get to that mindset? Because I am incredibly jealous of them. Um primarily being very tired. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's just like, uh, like early on, um, like I had a friend of mine and I started doing stand up around the same time, like, you know, like a good friend, like, you know, going way back. Um, like we started doing stand up around the same time. And like, unfortunately he got in that mindset where like he didn't work that hard, but demanded to be on all these shows and like demanded like exorbitant amounts of money when he's an open micer. And like, it just got to the point where like, I, you know, like I had had it so much with him and he eventually dropped out, but like I had had it so much with him that like, like, okay, like if I can't give a good friend, you know, explanation for this anymore, like what, what do I owe anybody else? You know, whenever somebody demands something like that's like, no, fuck you. I don't need it for me. My personality will be like, well, try to make him happy. Try to appease them. Try to, you know, Mm -hmm. create some cohesiveness, but I'll get out of there. And I'm like, fuck that dude. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't need to work with him. <clears throat> so like, I, and I mean, it's not that I, it's not that I never take other people's, you know, desires into consideration. Like, you know, I, I have, like, I do work with pushy people. Like most, like I'm unfortunate, like 99% of the people I've worked with have been delights, you know? Um, but like every so often, like I do get people who like overstep their bounds and demand too much. And if they've been ornery enough, I have caved, but under the situation, like I refuse to work with that person ever again. And I tell everyone else that I know who books shows, Hey, don't work with this person. Yeah. I don't enjoy telling other bookers who to not work with, but mm-hmm. how can you not 
spread that information. Like, like it's like you're doing it to service when you see, you know, Bill. And I like Bill. I just really <laughs> have. I have a problem with whenever I mention somebody I like, I have to make fun of them. And right. I don't know. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's like a Tourette's. Like, I, I don't I don't know. But I think by the end of my time doing this podcast, I will have no friends because everybody's gonna be like, fuck you. I finally listened. This guy's a piece of shit. But, but like you, you take Bill and uh, like he books shows and it's like, how do I not say, hey, man, Kevin Siebert. And I did it on purpose that time. But, like <laughs> how, you know, that guy, he was late. He didn't work well with others. You know, I wanted him to do 15. He did 26. Like, mm-hmm. how can you not like that word spreads? I think you're doing a disservice to your friends because, you know, bookers talk like we're we're a group and, you know, we're, we have to look out for each other because if you have one asshole in the group, it's going to devalue your comedy show overall. So yeah, absolutely. I, and like and you can have one difficult performer ruin a venue for everybody. Like like if it, you yeah. know, if a venue owner catches wind that there's drama and they just get tired of it. Like you're out of venue, you know, like, so you're at, like, you're not only doing other bookers a disservice, you're doing like comedy in any given area a disservice by not saying something like that like, like there's certainly a degree of spite in it, but like, it's primarily a service, you know? Yeah. I've had, when I've gone to new venues, potential venues, I've had to apologize for previous bookers and the work they've done. And that's yeah. frustrating, but it's, it's sad because you know, the talent in Binghamton or Williamsport is really good and you basically have to say oh like you have to take ownership for that and kind of admit that you're from a problem area when you're really not you just had one asshole that ruined mm-hmm. it. yeah like i i've definitely reached out to other venues uh like other potential venues and asked them if they would be interested and they're like oh no we tried comedy one time it didn't work it's like no what happened is you had like a a bad booker or like one bad performer and that's ruined it for everybody unfortunately i ask everybody this but do you remember your worst set you've ever had? Oh, let's see. Um, yeah, yeah, actually, I do. Um, okay, so I, so you you delayed. Did you uh, block that out? No, I had to narrow it down to which one was the worst one. There have been so many. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. So I booked like, and granted, this was like way too early into into it to be doing this, but uh, like I booked some shows at Penn College and at Lycoming College here in Williamsport. And, you know, I, I was probably like a year and a half into doing stand up at that point. And I told them, like, basically, I lined up like a, I think it was like a two hour show and thought that I could fill like 45 minutes of it, you know, a year and a half into doing comedy. Yeah. And it's true that I had 45 minutes of material at that point in time. But interestingly enough, now that I'm six years into comedy, I would usually tell people I have about 30 minutes of, of material. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway the point is uh i didn't have 45 minutes of good material and i got up first of all it was like barely attended there were it was like the middle of the day on a sunday afternoon there were like 12 kids in the entire place like it was like a giant room so 12 students were in it i had like three other people with me nobody had a set that went over well uh like i got up and did like 45 minutes just bombing the entire time. And then like nobody got a single laugh the entire time. Like I did not get a single laugh. And then immediately after the show, everyone filed out except for one student who walked up to us. They were from the school newspaper. And the only question they asked was, how do I spell your names? How do I spell (laughs) your names is the only question they had for us. And then, so we, we set up like a Google alert. For, you know, like, Lycoming College, Kevin Seibert, uh, you know, for, like, you know, when this article would post, and it never even posted. <laughs> like, I it, like I wanted it to at least be horrible enough to get, like, a negative review. It didn't even get, like, it didn't even get anything. <laughs> so that's, that's definitely, you like... You disappointed. Yeah, I, I've had shows where people have tried to punch me after the show, and they weren't as bad as that. At least they took the time out you know, to punch you. They, they, they had a strong reaction to me and I would prefer that to how do you spell your name? Oh God, that's, that's tough. It's not great. I I don't think I've ever been reviewed online or or in a paper, thankfully. 
Like, I, I don't think that's ever happened. Uh, maybe it has. Maybe I just don't have the Google alert set up. But yeah, I don't know. That's that's tough. If you don't have the narcissism to, to set up a Google alert, do you have the narcissism necessary to do stand-up? Yeah, good point. Good point. <laughs> Get on that. Get that set up. Uh, maybe I- Who knows how many articles there are out there about you right now? Oh, God. No, I'm not going to sleep. <laughs> this, is, this is terrible. Thankfully, like, uh, I have a common enough name where it's, you know, Mike Peters. I think there's a musician, Mike Peters, and a cartoonist. Mm-hmm. So I know that no matter how famous I ever get, I'm probably never going to reach those two. So I'll never oh, yeah. be the first one on your Google alert. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. That's tough. I I wonder, though, like, like it was Lycoming College newspaper? Uh, Yeah, yeah. The show was at Lycoming College, yeah. You got to be able to find it somewhere. Unless they just completely I don't know. scrapped the article. Uh, like I, I think they totally scrapped it because like I didn't just I didn't just set up a Google or like I, I, I searched for this like with intent. Like I, I went on a deep dive. Like I even went on their school newspaper's website trying to find it and I just couldn't. You gotta find the writer and I mean how long ago was this? Like three or four years? I mean it's year, yeah, right? it's go, it's going on five years at this point. I wrote for a college newspaper. Everything I wrote I saved, regardless of whether it was printed or not. So that article probably does exist somewhere. It's just it might just be on a word file. It could very well be, but uh, unfortunately, I didn't ask the reporter how to spell her last name, so I'm not sure how to look her up and ask for it. Yeah, and I guess if you just you know kind of do a blanket search of women who went to Lycoming College in 2015, you might get a different alert coming after you. Most likely, yeah, yeah. De- uh, certainly, I-, I would definitely be one of those uh, Me Too cautionary tales. <laughs> who got you inspired in comedy? Like, who, who are your favorite guys or women? Okay, so when I w- when I was young, gosh, this is this is uh, aged poorly. But uh, when when I was young, you know, my my parents didn't really have uh, any like stand up in the house for the most part. Like, all they had was uh, one cassette of the best of Bill Cosby, which I listened to I over and over. I don't understand the problem with that. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, some people overreacted about him. I don't know. <laughs> no, he, he's a monster. Like, he's a monster. Like at least um, sixty people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh gosh. Um, so yeah, like that was you know one of my like first you know experiences listening to stand up because you know like where my mom and dad live, like the house I grew up in. Uh, like to this day, they still can't get cable at their house. Like the cable company won't bring. So, you know, like, I, I didn't have Comedy Central. I didn't have anything like that growing up. So, like, you know, all I had was this, like, one cassette tape. And also, I grew up uh, as a Mennonite. And so, like, my parents, you know, like, listened to a lot of Christian music. And as a result, like, there's this Christian radio station in our area. And there's this, like, Christian comedian slash storyteller named Mark Lowry that my parents won tickets to on a radio contest. So I went to this as probably, like, a 10-year-old. And just, like, his, I don't know, like, his storytelling and his comedy just, like, kind of imprinted on me. And, like, it's, you know, like... He's hard to listen to now because, like, you know, it definitely hasn't aged that well. It's very, like, inside joke, like, from a like from an evangelical sort of community. Like, you know, it's like the evangelical inside jokes. But that was kind of, like, my earliest exposure to stand-up. And then, you know, when I got older, you know, like, I started listening to, like, uh, some of Mike Birbiglia's earlier stuff. And then probably about, like, eight years ago, uh, when, you know, I first downloaded Spotify, I just started looking up stand-up comedy like crazy and just, you know, would spend like all day at my job listening to that while I worked. And that was kind of, you know, I, I found uh, like, you know, Nick Thune, John Mulaney. I'm blanking on people, but my biggest influence is like early on, like what, you know, when I was uh, actually writing comedy myself were like Mike Birbiglia and John Mulaney, probably. Those are two of my three. I, I really, I mean, I grew up listening to Carlin, but when I started doing comedy, it was Birbiglia, Mulaney and Dimitri Martin. And those oh, three yeah. for me can't be beaten as far as like, like I, I pull a little bit from Carlin, like with wordplay or whatever, but I mean, not mm-hmm. that I'm Carlin. I mean, Carlin wishes he were me, but I mean, that's, that's where the confidence <laughs> goes. But no, it was Birbiglia for storytelling and Mulaney, obviously for storytelling. Mulaney though, it seems like he could say anything and make it funny. Like he doesn't need a punchline. His voice does it. His and delivery then, uh, is so good. Yeah. It's perfect. And, and I did a lot of one-liners, and that's where Demetri Martin came in for me. And I mm-hmm. just love that guy. And he's incredibly brilliant. And all, all three mm-hmm. of those guys are very smart. But Demetri Martin's a, a certifiable genius. Like he, Oh, he, yeah, he, yeah. He's a genius. Yeah, if I, if I hadn't blanked on the list I gave earlier, I would have mentioned Demetri Martin, Martin also. Well, he's a drawer as well. So you've got oh, something yeah. in common. 
So, okay. So, go back. Like, you grew up a Mennonite? Yeah. Okay. So, Lockhaven, they had the horse and buggy, right? Like, a lot of Mennonites up there. Uh, Mennonites or Amish. I'm not sure which it is. Yeah. What's the difference between Mennonites and Amish people? So, Amish... Are, are a lot more rigid. There's a lot more, you know, separation of the community. Mennonites, well, first of all, like, I wasn't, like, old order Mennonite. That's the horse and buggy, uh, you know, okay. buying a van for people that they get driven around in by somebody else, you know. A lot of the tenants of, of like, theology that, that I grew up with were, you know, big on, like, pacifism, non-resistance, and that's stuff that stuck with me, for sure. Like, uh, like I find that to be, like, a really solid way of, you know, living life, you know, like, non-violence, uh, you know, peaceful resistance. Um, but a lot of my life was just based around, you know, like, nothing like, uh, you know, horse and buggy or anything like that, but, like, a, a lot of the, you know, like, anti-military, that kind of thing. Yeah. I know nothing about the Mennonites at all. Like Amish too. Like Amish is a little more well known, I guess. But you know, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, tons of Amish mm-hmm. community and electricity. And I have no idea what what tenants they go by now. But yeah, I had no idea. Like I never even thought to Google back when I lived in Lockhaven what or who Mennonites were. Yeah, and I mean, it it could have either been Mennonites or Amish. Like I I I mean, honestly, like you can't tell just from looking. Like you'd have to actually ask them, you know. Yeah, and I would only see them really, you know, as I pass them on the highway. So I gen—I don't know about you, but I generally don't have a lot of conversations that are sparked that way. Like I'll pull over and be like, hey, right. what are you doing? Like this doesn't, doesn't <clears throat> usually work. Right, right, yeah. I think the only thing I learned was that uh, you don't honk at their horses. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, that, not just their horses. Just in general, don't honk at horses. They're very, they're very large and very unpredictable. <laughs> how, how awesome would that be if, like, just the Mennonite horses, the Amish horses, like, they don't like horns. But anywhere else, honk at them and they'll have fun with you. Yeah, but like, something about Mennonite beliefs, like, makes them very panicky. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That, 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 that would be really interesting. They're just very nervous. Yeah, in general. <laughs> so you don't practice that anymore? Like, uh, you just kind of, I don't know, just grew out of it, or I guess? So I don't really, like, I'm, I'm still religious, but I, I don't really have any kind of, um, like, denomination that I consider myself to be. Like, I really admire the, you know, the pacifism, the, you know, the anti-war. Um, and Mennonites also have, like, a big focus on, you know, acts of service in the community and, like, helping those in need. So it, it, it's, it's all stuff that, that I admire and, you know, try to live by. Like, I, I don't attend a Mennonite church anymore, no. Okay, yeah. I stopped going to church when my mom stopped trying to look for me under the bed. Like I just, she just gave up. She's like, it's like, you're the third of four kids. I don't care anymore. And the only way she could get me to go to church at a certain point was to say, well, we'll go to McDonald's afterward. And I'm like, okay. So like I was, you could bribe me with a Big Mac. And that's the only way I'd say hi to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I definitely understand why people choose to like not be involved with it. There's a lot, there, there's a lot of problems in just like evangelicalism in general is really repugnant generally speaking so like I, I i totally get why people don't want to be involved in it there's some denominations where aren't you supposed to give up like one tenth of what you make to the church yeah that is an obscene amount of money to give to anybody so yeah like the the way that i kind of look at that is i do try to do charitable giving to organizations that help people who are in bad situations like uh, charities that benefit, you know, orphans or foster care or people suffering from disease or like uh, children who've been separated from families at the border or something like that. Like, I I don't know. I mean, there's a theological debate to be had for like whether that money must go directly to a church. I'm more of the mindset that like, I would rather support, you know, like uh, there's an organization called I pronounce it races, R-A-I-C-E-S, uh, that's, you know, helping, like, giving legal assistance to families that have been separated uh, at the border and stuff. Uh, like, I'm sorry, I did not mean to turn this into, like, a political thing. Uh, no, I don't Yeah. Um, but, like, you know, th- things like that are, like, what matters to me. Like, that's, that's where I try to help as I can, you know? I had this argument every Sunday for a little while in high school because my ex-girlfriend is Italian. And, you know, we used to eat dinner with her grandpa and a good family friend. And the family friend was like in her 
I think early 80s, maybe late 70s. But she would ask me every week. She said, Michael, did you go to church this week? And I said, no. She's like, you have to go to church. And I was like, why? And she's like, well, she'd explain all the virtues and like everything she got out of it. And I'd say, well, I just don't believe strongly in organized, you know, organized religion. What did I know at 17? You know, nothing. It was mm-hmm. just something I was parroting. But I was like, no, I just don't. I don't think I, I don't think my going there benefits anybody. It doesn't change anything. Uh, I don't feel strongly enough to take up a pew, like a seat from anybody else. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I just think that if you're a good person, you're a good person. That's enough. And we would talk for like 20 minutes and she's just hammering me on, on what I should do. And at the end of this conversation, she just goes, eh, I didn't go to church either. <laughs> and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. So it was, it was the best, com- like the best ending for that conversation ever. She's like, eh, like she just wanted to talk. I'm like, okay, I get it. <laughs> but I've never been religious. Like, I, I just don't, I see like, if you, if you believe in it, that's fine. I just like, take care of yourself first. Like take care of yourself. Right. And like, you don't need that building to be a good person to live a good life oh yeah like make no mistake i'm cringing so hard right now at, like all of the the preachers who are like oh well you know we should still be allowed to have church service because that's like you know that should be essential if like abortion is considered an essential service or whatever and like it's really cringy to me to, to hear people saying stuff like that like you know people uh being like, you know, oh, well, you know, like God will protect us from COVID-19. And it's like, listen, like Jesus was the son of God and not even he would jump off of a cliff, even though he knew he'd be fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah. In my head, and I, I want to show you the restraint I had. You said Jesus would jump off a cliff. And in my head, I said, that's a good goddamn point. So, but I held back. I held back probably for my safety, just in case. We had you bets. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Have you done any stand-up since uh, we were on break? I haven't done any Zoom mics, but I did start to really miss it a couple of weeks ago. So, have you heard of Omegle? The, the app Omegle? No. Okay. Did you ever use Chat Roulette? No. Okay. So, Omegle is an app that you can download, and... It puts you on a video chat with a random other user. So just randomly video chatting with people on the internet. So basically all you need to know about Omegle is it's what you would it's used for what you would expect it to be used for, which is um literal children and people who believe that masturbation is a performance sport. Oh. Yeah. Uh just you know, the whole whole lot of uh yeah. Anyway, so I, I I saw a lot of things I can't unsee, um, but I did get to do a couple of five minute sets for people and just strangers on the internet, just testing out jokes. Mostly, I was verbally abused by children. Oh, absolutely. Yeah they they were the meanest. They were. Um, no, I I had like I got matched up. So like all you get to know before like before you agreed to chat with somebody is like you get like a username. And then, like, their age. So, you know, you would usually get, like, I don't know, like, Daniel, age 38. And it's 100% a 12-year-old. Um, and uh, you get, you, for, like, the first five seconds of a video chat, you can't shuffle to the next person. Like, you have to sit there for five seconds. And I matched up with what I could see was, like, a 13-year-old. You know, like, like definitely a child. So, like, oh, shit, I got to get out of here. Because, you know, I'm I'm not a creep. And in the time that I'm waiting, this kid just like, oh shit, it Harry Potter, sitting in his <laughs> Minecraft chair. Son, you got a square head, you adopted. <laughs> and this then like this went from like pedophile speed dating to just verbal abuse. Oh yeah, instantly. Like it went so fast. It got away from me so fast. <laughs> so, you know, I clicked shuffle on that one. I got like another uh, person, like that, you know, and all of these people say they're like in their 30s or 40s or whatever, and some of them are. So, like, maybe you're getting somebody like that, but usually you're not, but you have no way of knowing beforehand. So, I, so like, I clicked and, you know, I clicked accept to somebody who said they were like 38, like me, and it was like they, they had their camera turned away, so I couldn't see who they were. And I was just about, like, it looked like nobody's there, so I was about to shuffle to the next person. And then I heard somebody, who was like clearly a child say, Kevin, I just got one question for you. Why are you ugly? <laughs> and I was like, 
Because I'm actually 38. This is what we look like. Welcome to your future, asshole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A grim portent of the future. Uh, so um, I got off that and immediately deleted Omegle from my phone. Uh, so like, that's really been like the only time I've done stand-up during quarantine so far. If that was my first experience at it, I wouldn't do it again. Yeah, I, I um, like, I will never download that app again for sure. Like, I'll, I'll probably get back to a point where like my skin regrows enough that I can, you know, do a Zoom mic or something like that. But like, I, yeah, I'm never gonna take another chance of, like random strangers on the internet because it is terrifying. Do you get Harry Potter a lot? Oh, all the time. Yeah, it's primarily Harry Potter. There's like back when Lord of the Rings was going, like Elijah Wood. Or well, Frodo is what I you know. The, it, Frodo is what they called me, but um, Elijah Wood is what they meant. Sometimes uh, Rivers Cuomo. That's where I was going. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, if I'm lucky, David Tennant. I don't know who that is. The tenth Doctor from Doctor Who. Never seen Doctor Who. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, I don't really. I I don't watch it anymore. Like, I I stopped watching it probably nine or ten years ago. But I'm trying to think if he's like been in anything else. That it was like as iconic. He was in one of the Harry Potter movies. I've never seen Harry Potter either. Not one. Okay. Oh, did you watch Jessica Jones? No. Okay. And I watch uh, I, 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 a lot of TV, but not that. I'm fresh out of things he's been in then. <laughs> <laughs> At least Rivers Cuomo went to Harvard. You got that. Yeah. They think you're, they think you're smart. Yeah. And uh, as long as I don't speak, they continue thinking that. You just have to change your mindset. Like, think of the positive in all of this stuff. All this verbal abuse, you can turn around <laughs> and be like, yeah, well, I went to Harvard, huh? I've got I've got albums, you know, named after every color in the rainbow. I've got two good albums. Okay, so I'm a Weezer fan. What are the two good albums? Blue and Pinkerton. Yeah. My guess is that it would be hard for any Weezer fan to say those weren't the top two albums. Well, as as albums go, yeah, like it's not like they've never had another good song, but they haven't had a good album. Like they have the occasional single that's like pretty strong. But like I mean, I think also part of it is just like, you know, Blue and Pinkerton like when they came out, like what was coming out that was like that at the time, you know? Yeah, and you know, it was what 90 I think Blue was 94 maybe, and then Pinkerton yep. was 97, 96. Uh 96 or 97, yeah. Something and like that. Yeah. I mean, you've got The Good Life, which is my favorite Weezer song. And just that video, the video for the song was just, mm -hmm. in my mind, it was iconic. Like, I hear the song, I see the video. And, but yeah, like, like uh, Buddy Holly, I mean, just that video. Well, and I think the video really sold Weezer. Like, mm -hmm. Who was doing that? Like a happy day. Oh, spoof. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they, they definitely had like some really strong music videos. And, and like, especially Pinkerton, like, I don't know that anybody else has done anything like that since, you know, because the Pinkerton is so unique. Like, admittedly, I'm not like the biggest music buff. Like, you know, something may something may have come out that I didn't hear. But uh, like you said, The Good Life, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like my like my favorite Weezer song is probably um, Fallen For You off of the same record. It's a really good album. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Album. It's, it's really, really solid song, all yeah. over. Uh, was it is it Butterfly? Is that the name of the song? The final track? Yeah. 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 It's like a what? Maybe a minute and a half, two minute song. Just mm -hmm. beautiful writing. Mm -hmm. And that's just like the I mean, the, it just lets you go out of the album so smooth or so softly. We're mm -hmm. like, OK, I need to listen to this one more time. Yeah. Well, it's and it's like what, like thirty minutes long. It's a totally manageable listen. Yeah, I think twelve songs. I believe twelve or thirteen. Is it even that many? I think so. Yeah, it might be eleven. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, you know, if, they also if only we had an internet to figure out this album. <laughs> this yeah. Uh, also, like that uh, album or, or that era, I guess had like one of the strongest uh, Weezer B sides. Also, which was um, "You Gave Your Love to Me Softly." Do you know that one? I don't remember it. I'm sure I've heard the song, but I don't remember what it was. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, you, you, you'll probably like recognize it immediately, but like, d yeah, definitely look it up. Like if you think to after this, have you seen Weezer live? No, I wanted to, and it never happened. And now I'm pretty sure I don't want to, because I haven't liked like, I don't know, eight or nine albums worth of content by this point. Well, if you go see them live now, I've seen them once. The lineup was Taking Back Sunday, Weezer and Blink-182. Weezer probably played like 12 songs. Mm -hmm. I think they played five or six off the Blue Album. Really? Oh, yeah. It was a large chunk. And got to be almost half of the songs at least. And then they played a couple off Pinkerton. Like, I'm sure they played off Scorcho and um, The Good Life. I know they played The Good Life. So And probably The, the Sweater Song. And no, wait. Yeah, that's that's not the same album, right? That's Pinkerton? 
what's what's off the same album as Pinkerton? Sweater song. Is that is that uh, the blue album or Pinkerton? <sighs> blue. Okay, okay. So, but anyway, they played your era, and this would have been in like 2011, maybe. Oh, that's yeah, that's awesome. I I don't know, maybe. Yeah, I'd have to like look into like what a recent set list for them would would look like to know if I because like the, I mean the other thing is like at this point like tickets to Weezer have to be kind of expensive, don't they? Well, only because they're touring with like Green Day and Fallout Boy, so like you right. know that you know they're going to jack up the tickets for that, right? But yeah, you, but it, I'll bet if you saw Weezer in a club, which I don't know if they, how many they do, but if you saw Weezer at a club, maybe twenty five bucks. Oh, that's totally yeah, that's totally reasonable. And like, even if they only play like a couple songs off of like Blue and Pinkerton, it's still worth it. Oh, definitely. I mean, any band from that era, if they're still kicking around, you're going to get some good songs. You know, I, yeah, for I don't sure. Know, I'm, I'm a, I'm very true to my childhood. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'll, I'll always love that era. Yeah, me too. I mean, like you know, Weezer's first record hit in like I think I was in like eighth grade when that came out, and it was such a great record and like came out around the same time as dookie if i remember correctly which was also like such a good record overall um i'm trying to remember some of the other stuff that was coming out around then like mxpx was doing some decent stuff yeah they had uh life in general came out in 95 i think life in general was so good it holds up i'm a huge mxpx fan yeah it holds up really well offspring came out in 94 smash yep uh you know, if you're going straight punk, it was Rancid was around that era too. No oh, effects yeah. coming out with a lot of stuff. I think '94 would have been uh, uh, White Trash, Two Heaps and a Bean was '92, I believe, and then '94 was Punk and Drublick. So like, like that and Pennywise is coming out. Like that scene uh, was really strong. So, yeah. Um, oh, also, uh, Strung Out was it Suburban Teenage Wasteland album name? Yeah, like, yeah. that's a great yeah. record. And then you've got all that bad religion uh, stuff. So, oh yeah, like and the Descendants, whatever. So, like that, that California. I wish, like, if I could go back in any time and place for music, it would be early '90s California. Yeah, for sure. That, that seemed like a perfect spot. Yeah, a lot of a lot of great, uh, like in that like uh, punk, you know, like pop punk boom and like the the '90s. Like there was so much good stuff coming out of there. How'd you hear about MXPX? So. My high school church youth group, actually, like, uh, there were, like, a couple of people in that group that I was friends with who had, like, really, like, you know, punk alternative rock tastes. And actually, um, do you know uh, Tooth and Nail Records? Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I was when I was in high school, one of my buddies and I, like, we were, we both wrote for the school newspaper. And he wrote to Tooth and Nail and asked for review copies of albums. And they just sent us, like, boxes and boxes of CDs for free to review for the school newspaper. So, like... And that kept going like up up until like my senior year of high school. That's awesome. So I imagine you were overloaded with like Slick Shoes albums. Oh yeah, yeah. I've got I've got a Slick Shoes record uh, on top of my TV right now. Like I, I haven't listened to it recently, but yeah, like I just never moved it. Like we actually, Life in General was one of the records we got as a review copy. That's amazing. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it was like just like such a great record. Yeah, I I, mean, it, I think I listened to it like. The last time I listened to it was probably like three months ago. It is definitely still like a great record. Yeah, Crystalina is probably my favorite song off that. God, there's so many though. Middle Name is really good. Middle Name's great, um, yeah. That might be one of my favorite opening songs to any album. Mm-hmm. Just, it hits you so hard. Oh, yeah. Like my girlfriend broke up with me in college and like I did nothing but blare that for like six months. Wow, not the, it's not awesome that she broke up with you, but oh uh, no, it's totally awesome. Like that that would have been that would have been bad if she hadn't. Music's great for a lot of reasons, but uh, I always like that I can listen to one song and be like, oh yeah, this part of my life was absolutely awful, and to thank <laughs> you for this this three and a half minute song for reminding me of how much pain I was in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like there are definitely like a few songs that like I, I I won't be dramatic and say that like there are songs that I just can't listen to now because of like you know certain connections that, that that I make with like certain time frames. But like you know there there are definitely ones that like they have like strong memories of like certain you know like events that you know like weren't happy times for me. And like you know but, like they're you know they're such strong songs that like you know they they can like actually bring you back to that point in time. You know, I was a big real big fish fan, especially in college. And, uh, you know, I had a, I had a girlfriend break up with me to date another woman. And then it just happened that like every week or so, every two weeks, you know, I would put my playlist on random and inevitably real big fishes. She has a girlfriend now would come up. (laughs) (laughs) I was was like, what are you guys doing to me? (laughs) That's that's pretty great though. Yeah. I I think they wrote that song for me. So I was kind of touched. They, they must've heard about your plight, uh, 
I don't know. I guess the internet did exist then. They, did you write on their uh, like? I don't know. That was pre MySpace. I was like their um, a, uh, blanking. Out. Oh, on their like Angel Fire fan page. Did you did you write that to them? And that's how they figured it out. I can't believe it took me that long to remember Angel Fire. <laughs> God, I think we. Oh my God, we are old. Because I think that was my first website. My first and only web. Well, I guess I have another one, but but my first website was angelfire.com. Ouch. <laughs> I think I had a GeoCities one, but Angel Fire is just a funnier name. I wonder if those still exist anywhere. They probably all have viruses now, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, I'm going to end this podcast before uh, we uh, start talking about anything else. But uh, I appreciate you being here. And uh, you want to plug anything? I mean, social media? Sure, yeah. Um, I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Only One Calorie. And the shows that I run out of Williamsport uh, on Facebook is the Comedy Shop Williamsport. So once we start doing uh, shows again, you know, after COVID, that's where the updates for that are going to be. That's awesome, man. Hey, I appreciate you coming on here. And uh, hopefully we get to see each other, you know, in person soon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This has been a blast talking to you. Like, it's it's great to actually like have like you know a face to face as it is you know, like conversation with somebody. You know, cool. I can't wait to talk to you in six months. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's how we'll do it. All right. <laughs> Fantastic, man. All right, I'll talk to you in a bit. Cool. All right, have a great night. I hope they let me in.